Would you all pray with me? Our Father, we just thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for this time uh, together, together, and to, to worship you and to sing these songs of worship to you and to, to worship you by uh, reading your scriptures and uh, looking into your scriptures together. We worship you through giving and through taking communion. Lord, you are good. You are great. You're worthy of our praise. And I just thank you for gathering us together to be able to do that. Father, I pray this morning as we go through these songs of ascent, as we go through Psalm 121, I pray that uh, we will hear the song, that we will uh, sing the song, that we'll hear the poetry, that we'll hear the poem, and that you'll evoke our emotions, that you'll stir our affections for you as we remember Jesus Christ who proved that you are who you say you are and that you've done what you said you would do and that it's really good news for us. We thank you for your great love. Father, I pray this morning that you would say what you once said and that you'd have each of us hear what you'd want us to hear. Let's just work in our hearts so that we would know you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Hold on, I'm trying to find my place here. I just, I keep doing this where I put my papers in where the book, where I'm supposed to go, and then I take them out. That's not very smart. Anyways, so a couple months ago is my birthday. Uh, I turned 36. Okay. Anyways, and so uh, my wife got me a present. Uh, she got me a print from Scott Erickson. If you don't know who that is, we hung his art in our windows up here in the front during the, uh, during the Easter and Lent season, uh, so you, you may have seen some of his stuff. Anyway, she got me, she ordered me one of his prints, and, uh, and the print is hanging in my office. Come to think of it, I probably could have just brought it down here and shown it to you, but anyways. Uh, but the print is basically like a couple hands like this, right? You can see my hands. And in the hands is a raging, stormy sea. And there's a little boat in the middle of the sea. And then around it, it says, be not afraid. Now, if you just had a, a picture of a stormy sea with a little boat in it, and it said, be not afraid, I don't think that would make a lot of sense. But in this picture, that stormy sea is in this set of hands, right? And it says, be not afraid. And that's where we get the comfort, right? You get the picture. The stormy, raging sea is in the hands of God. It says, be not afraid. And when I look at that picture, I just got it hung up. And when I look at it, I, I think of uh, 2 Timothy 1.7. It comes to my mind. My mom taught me this when I was a little kid and I would get scared. She taught me this verse. And uh, in the ESV, it says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And the way I learned it was that God is not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And when I see those hands holding like the raging sea, and, the, and it says, be not afraid, that's what I think about. God's not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And, and that's a reminder to me. It's even an, an echo to, I think, last week's Psalm, uh, Psalms 120, as we've been going through these songs of a sense, that somebody is lying to me if I'm afraid. If I'm afraid, then somebody's lying to me. We talked about that last week, that the world is full of lies and deceit and is telling us one thing, but what God says is really something different. And so from this, I just know that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. And I can see then, if I can remember this, if I can recall, I can see that I'm believing a lie. I'm believing a lie that somebody else has told me, and I'm empowered by remembering that. I'm, I'm empowered to rightly look to Jesus 
who gives power and love and sound mind and who's told me not to be afraid, but there's not, he's not a spirit of fear. The good news from this morning's passage in Psalms 121 is this. It's the, it's the second Psalm, Psalms of Ascents that we're, that we're going through, starting at 120 through 134. The good news from this, this chapter this morning is this. God is more powerful than all that would intimidate us. God is more powerful than all that would intimidate us, and he is more alluring than the best of his creations. God's more powerful than anything that could intimidate us, and he's more alluring than the best of his creations. So we can sing this song, Psalm 121. We can recite this poem when we need to remember that we don't need to be afraid or when the world tries to allure us with its so-called treasures. We can remember that God's bitter, bigger, God's better. So one, Psalm 121, it starts out like this. I'm just going to read the first couple verses. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I lift up my eyes to the hills. I think today we might read that verse and think of the, like the majesty of the high mountains, of like maybe the Rockies snow-capped up against a blue sky. That's gorgeous, beautiful, majestic. It makes us think of how great God is and that, he's our, that he created all these things. And that's good. That's not totally wrong. But we have motivational posters and greeting cards and, and pictures over our fireplaces of mountains that kind of evoke that emotion in us. And there's even, even several places in Scripture where mountains are used like that, but but perhaps in Psalm 121, it's a little bit different. There's another great possibility because as we talked about last week, these Psalms of Ascent, it's a great possibility that these are songs of ascents that were, that were sung by the pilgrims on their journey towards Jerusalem, right? And so on the road to Jerusalem, there's robbers, there's bandits hiding in the hills. There's, as you look up, I mean, maybe we think this is Israel, this is God's people, so there are no other gods there. That's not true. Like, remember they got sent into exile and punished because everybody was worshiping other gods. And as you look up into these hills, there's shrines to other gods, there's priests for other gods, and there's places you could go to pay money where you could get them to pray for your own blessings and protection on your journey. There's probably prostitutes and other such such temptations that are visible from the road in the hills. So it's likely that the psalm is actually referencing some of these things. Not just the majesty of the mountains, but like the dangers and the temptations and the allure of the mountains to the traveler. As they looked up the hill, looked up at the hills as they're traveling, this song that they're singing then would be a reminder of where their help really comes from. And so they don't need to be afraid neither of bandits or robbers or sickness, or injury, or whatever, and they don't need to be allured by other things. They don't need prostitutes, or shrines, or priests who promise satisfaction, who promise security for probably in exchange for some money. I don't know, I don't know, I can't say for certain what the psalmist is inspired by in the mountains here. I can't say one way or the other, although in this context, I lean towards the trouble that's found in the hills, but commentator Uh, Derek Kinder, he writes this, and I just, I think it's perfect for us where we're at. He says, either way, either way, whether it's because of the majesty of the mountains or it's because of the dangers and the, the allure of the mountains, either way, the psalmist knows something better 
the thought of this verse leaps beyond the hills to the universe and beyond the universe to its maker. Here is the living help, primary, personal, wise, and immeasurable. You see, this is a song that reminds us to look to God who made heavens and earth, who made the mountains, who made the hills, who made everything in them. And it's a song to help the heart cling to and continue to pursue the treasure that is above all treasures, right? In our flesh, we'll seek help elsewhere. We'll get afraid, we'll become afraid, we'll become dissatisfied, and we'll seek help elsewhere. But isn't that really what every sin is, right? Every sin stems from that. We either feel insecure and afraid, so we look to ourselves or to something else in the creation to guard us and to keep us and to protect us. Or we're afraid, or either we're afraid or maybe we feel unsatisfied, so we begin to look elsewhere for satisfaction. We begin to look to the things of creation that allure us and tempt us and say that they're worthy, right? Or that they can satisfy us. But they're lies. It's all lies. And I'm kind of reminded of the four Gs that we did a couple weeks ago. If you were here, the, the one... If you're insecure and afraid, you can remember that God is great, meaning he's over everything and he's all-powerful. So I don't have to take control. Or if you're unsatisfied and you're looking to the temptations and allurings of the world, God is good and he's most satisfying. So I don't have to find my satisfaction elsewhere. I don't have to look elsewhere. The cry of Psalm 121 we're about to get into is to be not afraid and to be not allured. Be not afraid. Be not allured. And it goes on to make the case. So let's just read. I just want to read through the passage. Let's read this. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time and forevermore. From this time forth and forevermore. You can check out. 1 Kings 18.27 with me for a minute. We're just going to go there for a moment. 1 Kings 18.27. Here we'll see Elijah uh, is mocking the prophets of the pagan god Baal, uh, having challenged them to have, basically have their gods, uh, have Baal set their bull on fire that's on the altar. They're not allowed to strike a match or, or light the thing up, right? said, all right, you pray to your God, you pray to Baal, and you get him to, you know, to consume this bull with the fire. And then they, like, they, they start doing their chants and whatever and, and, and trying to make it happen, and nothing happens. Like nothing's happening. They kind of go for quite a while. Nothing's really going on, and Elijah just starts mocking them. And he says, cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. That's what Elijah says of Baal, of this false god. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe you need to go wake him up. Maybe you need to go find him. Maybe he's on a journey. Of course, when Elijah's turn came to do the same thing, he actually, like, covered the altar with water, too. 
to make it even harder for the fire to start. And then he called on God, and God consumed it immediately with fire. Think of that in light of this in Psalm 121. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. It's really good news. As a traveler singing this, it would raise the questions like, what of these gods in the hills that I'm seeing up here, right? What of those shrines and those little idol gods and these priests? What of them? What can they do? They're probably asleep anyways. They probably, I'd have to wake them. I'd have to go find them. What can they do? They're nothing like my God because my God keeps me. My God doesn't sleep. My God doesn't slumber while he's keeping me. He's always keeping me. He's always guarding me. He's always looking after me. And not only that, he, he changes it to he's keeping Israel, right? God is keeping his vision. God is keeping on his mission. God is taking his people where he created them to go. God never sleeps. God never slumbers. He's keeping us and he's keeping what he will do, what he said he will do. He's keeping his promises. My God keeps me. My God doesn't sleep while keeping me. That's our God and no one else. There's no other God like that because there are no other gods, right? So be not afraid. Be not allured by the hills. What does that mean for us? Be not afraid. Be not allured by the hills. What threatens you when you begin to look and trust in God? What threatens you when you begin to look and trust in God, look to and trust in God? Like maybe if you're beginning to think about uh, giving your finances or whatever over, that's probably the easiest one to go to because that's the easiest one not to trust in God with, right? What begins to threaten you when you begin to look to and trust God? And what sleeping gods are you allured to? All these sleeping gods around us are the things that we treasure in our life they have really nothing to offer me, and they're dead. They can't do anything for you. They cannot satisfy. What threatens you when you begin to look to and trust to God? What sleeping gods are you allured to? Then the song goes on to say, it says this, it says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. What does that mean? The sun, the Lord is the shade on your right hand. That's kind of weird. Well, you know, God shades your right hand. It's the right hand is associated with strength, right? And the sun, of course, could weary uh, travelers along the way, even causing heat stroke or or worse. Those who travel by night, like by the moon, uh, could grow weary in the dark, even even become slightly mad, like a lunatic. (laughs) There are many things that tire us, too, along this journey of discipleship, things that would cause us to lose our strength. This psalm and this part of the song reminds us who our keeper is. It reminds us of who God is and how he keeps us and how he guards us. I'm just looking back to Exodus 13, 21. You can turn there if you want. You don't have to turn there, but it's when God is leading his people out of Egypt, right? Maybe you'll remember this. And he says this. He says, well, it says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night 
did not depart from before the people. This is the kind of God, this is the kind of keeping that God does by day and by night. He sends a cloud by day and fire by night to keep them and to guard them and to guide them. He shades your right hand. He's your real strength and ability. I mean, if you just want to go back to that example, could they make that journey without God guiding them, without God sending the cloud and the fire? No. I mean, they don't have the ability. They don't know where they're going. They don't have the ability. God is their strength. And this is a reminder that, like, he shades our right hand. He's our real strength and ability. What's in our right hand is strong because of him. So what threatens your strength? What threatens your ability? What promises greater strength? What lies are you more tempted to believe? So neither be afraid of what threatens your strength and ability, nor be allured by the things that promise greater strength and ability. Because God is your keeper, and he's your real strength. He's your real ability. Real help comes from the Lord who made everything. I mean, these people would have been journeying on their way to Jerusalem. They would have been uh, tempted to look to, you know, these priests or these shrines or these gods or whatever and go buy something to help them make the trip, protection from the sun god, protection from the moon god, whatever it was. Go buy protection. That's nothing. That's not real strength. It doesn't get you anywhere. God's your keeper and he's your real strength and ability. Real help comes from the Lord who made everything. And then Psalm 121 finishes this way. It says, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What this doesn't mean when we read that, what this doesn't mean is that there won't be any hardship that there won't be any difficulty along the journey, neither for the pilgrim or for us, right? It's not a promise that it won't be hard at times. It's not a promise that there won't be anything that's difficult. Toes will get stubbed on the road. There'll be some pain that we have to deal with. There will be suffering. The climb will be difficult at times. It doesn't promise that that's not true. What it does say is that the Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will guard your heart. The stubbed toes and the pain won't be the death of you. That won't be the end of you. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Remember from last week? Every night we, uh, at home we do like a little devotional with the kids. And Recently we picked up the New City Catechism app. If you don't know about that and you want something with your kids, I would recommend you go get it. New City Catechism app. It's free. It comes with like 30-something, 36 questions, answers, scripture, and songs for the kids to enjoy. You can do it for adults too, but the the kids' answers are a little shorter. Anyways, the first question, it starts with this in the New City Catechism. What is our only hope in life and death? I know this one because I do the kids' version, so we'll all just deal with that. What's our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong to God. We are not our own, but belong to God. And then it references Romans 14, 7 through 8. And my little girl, Grace Noel, has almost got this memorized, which is pretty cool. It says, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. 
For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And that's the promise of this psalm, that he will keep us from all evil, that we will remain in life and death the Lord's. Evil will not take over. Evil will not get in. Evil's not going to conquer, and it will not have victory here in life or in death. He'll keep us from all evil. We are the Lord's. That's good news for the follower of Christ, the follower of his way, that he'll keep us. In life or in death, we are his. He'll keep us from all evil. Then it says, God keeps your going out and coming in. The promise is now and forever. And it remind, this particular part, it just reminds me of Psalm 139, 1 through 5. It's just a great comfort to me. It says, O oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind me and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. I love that. You hem me in, behind and before me. You lay your hand upon me. Keeps our going out and our coming in. He hems us in, behind and before us. He's all around us. The promise is now and forevermore. He's never going to let go. He keeps us. So why this song? Why this song and the songs of ascent at this time? Why at this point? I think it's because it's a song. As we've kind of shaken our self, or we've gotten shaken out of uh, our delusional idea of what the world is in Psalm 120, we begin to look up to God. There's going to be a lot of things that distract us. There's things to be afraid of. There's things that will tempt us, the things that will try to allure us. So we look beyond the mountains to the, uni- to the maker of the universe, to the maker of the mountains. And it's a song that helps the heart cling to and continue to pursue the treasure that is above all treasures. This is a song, as we begin our journey, that helps us cling to and pursue the treasure that is above all treasures, which is our Lord. Listen to these words. And I'm just I'm giving a lot of scripture. Uh, Luke, Luke 19, 41 through 44. This is the words of Jesus as he's finished his pilgrimage to Jerusalem. We kind of just covered this in Matthew not too long ago. He comes to Jerusalem and he begins, you know, this is at the end of his, not just his journey and his pilgrimage to Jerusalem, but really through his race, right? It's about to be Passion Week and then uh, Jesus will die on a cross and he'll be raised again. And he comes to Jerusalem and he looks up and this is what it says in 40, 19, 41 through 44 of Luke. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. 
and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Would that you had known the things that make for peace. It's like we mentioned last week in Psalms 120. The world is lying to us. It tells us that, tells us that there's a better way for peace. And you can see the difference here is that when we choose the other way, when we choose to follow the lies and the deceiving, uh, the deceitfulness of the world, who is it that hems us in then? It's our enemies. But when we follow Jesus, when we look to Jesus, we, we're looking to the promise that he hems us in, that he goes before us and behind us. So we sing this song of ascent then so that we would hear what, we tr- what truly makes for peace, right? What truly brings life. So we would hear that all other ways lead to the enemy surrounding us and hemming us in. And we would hear the good news of this. Hear the good news of this psalm. It's how it sustains us in the every day of discipleship. How does it sustain us every day in discipleship, on this journey of discipleship? We don't have to fear. For our God is the maker of heaven and earth. He's over everything, and he is our keeper. He goes before us. He goes behind us. He hems us in. He keeps us from evil. And in life or in death, we are the Lord's. And we don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction because there's nothing that can satisfy us more in life or death than Jesus Christ. I spoke for a really long time last week, so I'm going to make up for it today. We're almost done. So, but in closing, the idea is that you and I were not on this road alone. We're not on this road alone. You're not going it alone. I'm not going it alone. And even us together, we're not alone. God is keeping us. He's guarding us. That doesn't mean that there won't be difficulty. That doesn't mean it won't be hard at times. There will be. But he's keeping us from falling because of it. He's keeping us from dying and living, or not living. Now I've messed up my words. He's keeping us from falling because of the hardship. Be not afraid of anybody or anything less than God. This is the call today, right? Just be not afraid of anybody or anything less than God. Look to God, look to Jesus, and be not allured by anyone or anything less than God. He's the creator. Everything else is just creation. It can't be worth what the creator is worth. It can't have the perspective that the creator has, so we can't trust it. Just look to Jesus, who's proven once and for all through his life, through his death and resurrection, that all these things that the psalmist has said are true. When Jesus came and he lived and died and was buried and rose again, he proved that all these things that the psalmist said are true. God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere, and God is great, so I don't have to take control. My challenge to myself as I was going through this week, and it's what I would challenge you with this week also, is to practice reciting this to yourself throughout the week. To practice reciting this psalm back to yourself throughout the week. And I'm not saying you have to memorize the whole psalm. That'd be cool. I mean, do that. Then you'll remember it always. You don't have to memorize the whole thing, but go back and read it and reread it and spend some time in it and practice reciting it to yourself. 
Ask the questions. What do I fear? What am I looking to for my help to come from? What do I fear? And what does God have to say about my fears? And where does my help come from? What do I fear? What does God say about it? And where does my help come from? And then number two, where do I look for satisfaction? Now, where does God tell me that satisfaction is found? Ask those questions. What are you afraid of? What are you being allured by? What are you most tempted by? And then I want you to apply the gospel. Because Jesus proved that God is most satisfied. And that God is in control. We went over this just a few weeks ago. Jesus proved that God is most satisfying, that God is in control. So what does it look like for you to look beyond the hills to the maker of heaven and earth, believing what Jesus has proved? What does it look for you to be able to look past the lies and the deceitful things of the world that would say that they're more satisfying or would say that they can give you security and look to Jesus who proved that God is good and that God is great? and that you don't have to look elsewhere, and that you don't have to be afraid, and you don't have to take control. Where do you need to hear that good news? Like I said, just practice that this week. Practice asking the questions. What are you afraid of? What are you allured by? And apply the gospel. And I would encourage you to do that with your missional communities, with your DNA groups, with your families, with your friends. Talk to somebody. Talk it out. Maybe read the scripture together and go, go over it further. We're going to move into a time of uh, response. And uh, during this time, every week, we do the same things. But it's a time for reflection. It's a time for us to even stand and worship together, to worship our God. We just sang the song, like, or I think we're singing the song. My eyes, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. We can stand and sing that truth together and, like, remind each other of that truth as we sing it. As the band comes, then we'll, uh, be, it's a time for us to sing. It's a time for us to spend some time in prayer and reflection consider what you're afraid of, to consider what's alluring you. Uh, we'll also have a tithing and offering basket in the back where you can worship through your giving by trusting God through that area of life as well. And then every week we take communion. So we come down the middle and you can come and there'll be people here to serve it. You can tear the bread and you can dip it in the wine or the juice. And when we do this, we're remembering that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's done what he said he would do. And that he's for us, that he's not against us that he's saved us. And as we proclaim that to one another, it's a reminder to one another to believe the gospel and to apply it to our life. So if you're a Christian, whether you're a member of this church or not, you can come and take with us. We invite you to do that. If you're not a Christian and you don't believe in Jesus, if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, um, we ask you not to come because that's what we're saying when we do this. Instead, we ask that you would hear. Hear what we're saying in our action. Jesus loves you. There might be a fork in the road. Don't believe the lies and the deceit of this world that says you can secure yourself or you can find satisfaction elsewhere. Jesus is the only place for that. And you're invited to take him today. So we invite you to do that. There'll be people in the back also who would pray with you for anything. And they'll have badges on that say, can I pray for you? So you can catch them also. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we just thank you again for this day. Thank you. Um, Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for who you are. And I thank you that you're, you're great, but you're good. And so I can totally trust you. We can totally trust you.
We can trust that your way is better than our way. We can trust that anything that we would look to in creation before we would look to you would be less than you because you are great. You're powerful. You're over everything. You're the creator. You're the maker. And you've also proven that you're really, really good. Thank you for inviting us to taste and see your goodness this morning. I pray again that during this time you would just stir our hearts affection for you, that you would stir our hearts to believe who you say you are, that we believe in your son, that we believe that you want what's best for us and that you know what's best for us more than we know what's best for us. I just ask that uh, this morning you just stir our hearts to come to you, to get our eyes beyond the hills and beyond the universe to the maker, that we would remember you keep us. You never sleep. You never slumber. You've got us. You're not letting go. And we would be not afraid. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.